Our scripture reading this morning is Psalm 131. I invite you to follow along. Psalm 131. Very short psalm. A psalm of ascents, which means as they would go up to the temple, they would sing this psalm. These words. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up, my eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Amen. Now you might be thinking, preacher, what are you going to make out of that? So short. Well, quite a bit, actually, I hope. Last week, as we commenced a celebration of Advent, we asked a question, what, Jesus, do you accept? We kind of ran ahead, Jesus already embarking on his ministry. As we celebrate Advent, you long for the fulfillment of God's promise. Jesus, come. Savior, come. The answer, come. The helper, come. The Redeemer, come. Come in fulfillment of promise. We need help. We need blessing. We need hope. But what kind of Jesus do you want? We looked at that. And now we turn the pages back to a psalmist bidding us hope in the Lord. And I make this an Advent sermon for the simple reason One, Israel failed to actually do that. We'll see that. But two, to hope in the Lord is a path to Christ's coming. And to hope in the Lord means that we accept Jesus, the one who really came, to do what he really did. We accept that one. And we go forward with him in hope. In other words, this isn't a Psalm 130 isn't a pep talk. Hope in the Lord. Come on. Come on, guys. Everyone together. Hope in the Lord. Hope in the Lord. Just get out there and hope. It's not it. When we say hope in the Lord, we're directing all of the problems in our life, everything that hurts us, that wounds us, that disturbs us, that makes us sad, that makes us worry, causes anxiety broken dreams, everything that breaks us and makes us cry and turns us to look at God's love and purpose and goodness in Jesus Christ, the Savior who's come, hope in him. It's really important because it gets at where every one of us live and it also gets at what we're going to face in the future, which we can't determine or know, but it will come. Hope 
O Israel, O church, hope in the Lord who gave us Jesus. Now this psalm is short. As one famous preacher said, it's a short ladder, but it takes us into the heights. It's a short little ladder of a psalm, but you're going to take a lifetime learning to live it. Look what it says here. It tells us, Oh, Lord, and it's the covenant name of God used there when you see those capped letters. That's God's covenant name revealed to Moses. The covenant-keeping God. Oh, covenant-keeping God, promise-making God who keeps his promises. Oh, Lord, my heart isn't lifted up. Here comes a a self-confession. As he would go up to worship... My heart's not lifted up, meaning proud. My eyes are not raised too high, meaning haughty, smug. I'm up there. I got it. I I can handle it. I'll take care of it. I'm in control, okay? I got it. I'm not that. Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not Raised too high, I do not occupy myself with things too great, too marvelous for me. There is the beginning of a confession in order to worship God. You want to hope in God, you got to stop hoping in yourself. You got to stop with the back pocket God. You know what the back pocket God is? You got God in your back pocket. And you only take him out of your pocket when you think you need him. Well, now, here's something that's too hard to handle. Here's something that's too big for me. Here's something, I'll admit, I'm a bit weak and fleshly. So now, God, it's time for you to do for me. That's a back pocket God. He's coming to worship God, and we're joining him in this this message. Oh, Lord, my heart so important we can actually say it and mean it. My heart is not proud, lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high, haughty. I don't occupy, concern myself with things that are just too wonderful, too marvelous for me. Our problem, of course, is that we often do that. Israel is called called to hope in God, but she didn't. Called to hope in God, but she thought she could handle it, that life was in her control, that she could go her way, do her thing, have it her way. Pride is a sin that is so easy to fall into because we live in a proud society. We're the big nation. We're the most powerful nation on earth. We're the most affluent nation on earth. We're it, man. We, we have a Christian heritage or background within our nation. We also have all kinds of shame and tragedy within our nation that ought to call us to humility and brokenness. And, but it's so easy when you live around an affluent nation where the values that are exposed, exposed on television and what you see within the intellectual world of the universities and the big business world, it's pride and, and aspiration of success and money and power and, and more money and more power 
And pride is to be puffed up because we have every right to be. We ought to be. And now the Bible comes and tells us you shouldn't be. You better not be. Isn't it ironic to try to worship God smugly? I'm it, man. No, that's why David, I tend to think David wrote this psalm in his younger years because we know in his older years he, he was king for a long time and you know, all the stuff of being king and royalty and privilege and he took that census to find out just how powerful he was and how many people he had and how much money he could get with taxes and, and God brought him down. He was puffed up. So important for us to realize how small we are. Our lives can only be lived well when we are recipients. Because Christmas, Advent's about a gift given. And what can you do with a gift given but in faith and gratitude receive it, accept it? Be filled with joy in what you've been given. God's our creator, and so our response is to live a life for him. God is our redeemer, and what is our response? But to live out the liberation he gives. God gives us new life as our re-creator. He remakes us, and now we can live a new life in gratitude. Jesus is the way and truth and the life, so how about we go on that way, live out that truth, and fulfill an abundant life, an eternal life he gives. This is all very important. While we remember this is a song, a psalm, a song book of the Old Testament that the people, when Jesus actually came to earth, would know, would sing, and put upon their lips. And what were the, oh, Israel, hope in the Lord, what was her hope when Jesus came? Well, we discover there was four categories of people among God's people, the Jewish people of that time. And we're going to talk about three of them now. There were the Sadducees. The Sadducees were the priestly class. They were wealthy. They cozied up to the Romans, the people ruling the Jews, their overlords. And along with the Sadducees, who were this aristocratic kind of class, were various wealthy people, rich merchants and the like. And these were the kind of people who cozied up with the Romans, got their arms around them, and said, of course you're our overlords. You have every right to be our overlords. But, you know, we can help you be our overlords. Hey, man, when, when you got to figure out how life is. you got to land on your feet. With a little savvy, we can get along with these Romans, and it can go well, at least for some of us Jewish people. They weren't hoping in the Lord and the Christ to come. That's not their hope. Their hope was to have a comfortable life. Now, there's the hope. Then you had, on the opposite end of that, the zealots. Simon Peter had been a zealot. 
he wielded a sword. He was sort of the, they were the terrorists of the day, the guerrilla fighters. Let's hit this little band of Roman soldiers, kill them all, steal some stuff, and make it miserable for the Romans. Some people would have thought them as patriots. Some people would have thought of them as as the sons of the Maccabees. The Maccabees were that were those people, those rulers of the Jews who were Jewish, who threw off the Greek influence, the Greek empire, only to be replaced by the Roman Empire. But they were zealots who fought for the freedom of the Jewish people. And the zealots thought of themselves as heirs of that. Yes, we're going to get rid of that But what was their hope? Their hope is, well, maybe God will give us a Messiah if we can get rid of these Romans. So let's kill people. Let's stab people. That's not the hope of the Jesus to come. And then we have the Pharisees, those people we're more familiar with in the Gospels. The Pharisees were a, we can get it done, and we, we do hope for the Messiah. But he'll never come until we get really serious about this religion business and start actually living this religion business and doing this religion business and get serious about this. And we got to do the law, and not just the law. We have oral traditions that have been passed down. We got to get busy with this. We got to be zealous in this. And if we would just really be really super devout believers and doing what God's Torah, the Old Testament says, well, then we could get some blessing. We got to believe better, try harder, do better. But they weren't hoping. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. This isn't humility before God. In each one of these cases, what you find, whether it was the Sadducees, the Zealots, or the Pharisees, my heart is lifted up, and my eyes are haughty, and I will consider great things that are not too wonderful for me. We can manage life now. And we can think that way too. No, we don't wait for Jesus to get here. He's come. He's died on a cross. He's emerged from an empty tomb. He's ascended into heaven, but he's promised to come again. And then usher in the whole fullness of the blessedness of his glorious kingdom come. And while we await his second coming, do we put our hope in him for that? Because it's easy to be lifted up in our hearts. It's easy to have haughty, smug eyes. It's easy to have a back pocket God. You know, when I need you, I got him in my pocket. Or it's, and you find Christians who want to fight the good fight of the faith with swords, with bombs and guns, with hurting and harming people. They're a fringe group, but there's Christians like that. And you find Christians who just want to soak the world in and go along. Hey, you know, the world has a lot of wisdom. They know what life is. They know the way of happiness. It's sort of a Sadducee religion of, hey, man, make money, have fun, enjoy yourself. And that's the life. And 
sure, Jesus, get me to heaven when I die. But really, it's about living like the world now and getting a Jesus bonus at the end. And then there's all kinds of Christians that suffer the Pharisee temptation. Try harder, do better. Try harder, do better. Come on, guys, let's try harder. Let's do better. Let's believe better. Let's live better. Yeah, well, of course, sure. But do you think God loves us because of our effort? Live that way a while. And you can only land in two places, one of two places. Either you get very arrogant, quite contrary to Psalm 131. I'm doing it, man. We're it. We believe the best. We live the best. Man, we set the example. Look at us. Or I'm a failure. God can't love me. God can't accept me. I just sin the same sins over again with the same habits of heart. I'm a mess. Neither of those is putting your hope in the Lord. Neither of those ends where Psalm 130 ends, namely with him is plentiful redemption. You see, that's the Christian life. We're ever in Jesus' arms, and we're ever falling into Jesus' arms, and we're ever hoping in him. Not hoping in him once in a while, every day, all the time. He's the only king that is king, and he's king of kings and lord of lords, the Lord. Oh, Israel, church, hope in the Lord, the hope that comes on the road to Jesus' coming and second coming. Now with that, with those, this challenge to hope this way, we're shown in verse 2 something important, the opposite. So if, if our temptation is not to be humble but proud, Notice what real humility and hoping in the Lord looks like. But, so rather than, man, I got life by the tail and there's nothing too hard and all that, verse 2, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Wow. Wow. Now, there's a lot more there than you first think. First of all, I've calmed and quieted my soul. When's the last time I did that? <laughs> you know, how do most of us live most of the time? Okay, what I got to do today? Who I have to deal with today? What I have to put up with at work today? What are my responsibilities? How can I get all this done? We're just filled with all kinds of anxieties and worries as if we don't rest in God's loving arms. Like I'm, I'm a big mature adult who has control when the image here is I'm a little baby. But a certain kind of little baby. Now I've never, I have three children and they all got weaned from their mother. But I learned early on with a nursing mother, dad is sort of 
dad is, he's a sideshow. <laughs> yeah, dad, yeah, yeah. But mother, wow, mom is it. <laughs> mom really matters. I want mom. And mom has something wonderful to provide me. But then a child becomes weaned. Now, here's the difference between a nursing child and a, a weaned child. A nursing child loves mom because of what mom can do for the child. Mommy provides. Mommy comforts. Mommy's always there with what I m- want most. Soothing mommy. But a weaned child relates to mommy differently. No, I don't get that from mommy anymore. And that's okay. I don't love and want mommy just for that anymore. I love mommy for mommy. I'm comforted with mommy even without mommy providing that to me. That's the image of a child and and held by its mother, not begging for that, but content simply to be with its mother. Not fussy, not bawling, not agitated, do for me, give me, but I'm with the one who loves me and I'm content with her. It's a beautiful image, and we've all seen it. Now, how do we relate to God? The fussing, stingy, needy, bawling baby. Give me God. Provide for me, God. Hear me, God. Know me, God. What's going on right now, God? Can't you see? I'm hungry, God. I have needs, God. I'm agitated, God. Provide for me, God. Do for me, God. Now, God. I read a commentator in which, when's the last time you were simply content? Not for what God's doing for you, but simply that you're with him. You know him. He loves you. You love him. To be ashamed, I'm ashamed to say, I think, wow, I think that's been a long time. My prayers are filled with anxiety and anxiousness and give, give, give. The thing is, he does give. But we won't find joy in God until we learn to be a weaned child in his arms. That's how David describes a life. Not proud, not haughty, not I got it in the bag, not I'm it, but I'm, I am a baby. I am weak. I am needy. I do need to be taken care of and held close. Each and every one of us here need that. Even to our dying day, and sometimes especially on our dying day. We all need that. But we need that not, I love you, God, because of what I can get out of you, because I really just love me. We live in a culture, even a Christian culture, in which it's a do-for-me God. Health and wealth gospel. 
I believe in Jesus because he'll get me healthy and wealthy. And yeah, so it's really still just about me. It's not about him. I love you, Lord, only because of what you can give me. So I love myself. The Lord is pleased to give to us much. He's given us his only son. That's what Advent's about. The promise reaching its fulfillment. The answer arrives. And here's the thing. Oh, Israel is called to hope in the Lord. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord, the covenant God who keeps promises, and she didn't. But Jesus did. We look at Jesus from birth to baptism as little infant in a manger, helpless and dependent, even on his earthly mother, needing to grow up like every child and gain wisdom and live life on its terms. Jesus was in our flesh, truly. It's not different than us. When it's cold, he's cold. When a bug bites you, it hurts. When, you know, you step on a thorn, you bleed. He was one of us. He knows it. He knows life on the terms we experience it. All the way from birth to baptism, he put his hope in his father. From his baptism to the Mount of Transfiguration, where he gives a precursor of the glory that is his, he calls us to hope in himself and in his Father. From the Mount of Transfiguration to Golgotha and accursedness and shame, and it looks like a big disaster and failure and a tomb of decay, and then from there to triumphant emergence from a tomb of decay to ascension, and now he reigns and we await his second coming. He hoped, even on cross forsaken, my God, my God, he's still calling to God and hope, and God comes through. He's faithful, still is. And now we're bid, and he bids us to put our hope in him. Advent reminds us that God makes promises and keeps them. Advent reminds us that we can't do for ourselves. There are things too wonderful for me, too big. I don't need to have haughty eyes and a proud heart. I need to have a humble heart. Eyes that when they're lifted up, they're lifted up in hope to heaven, not cast inward look at me when what I've done and how much money I make or what success I've achieved or whatever it is. Now I go back to a question. What hurts you? What burdens you? We all have them. I do. There's things I would change if I could. I can't. There's circumstances I would revise. Things I would do different. See, there was another group of Jewish people who thought the answer is to run from the world. Just check out. They were called the Essenes. Have you ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? 
When the Romans came to destroy the Jewish nation in 70 AD, they meant it. You know, that's when they destroyed the temple and slaughtered all the Jews and they were fleeing for their lives. Well, this group hid all kinds of Old Testament scriptures in caves and other writings. And they were sort of the Amish on steroids (laughs) back in those days. A communal society hiding from the world. And you think, oh, what's more humble than that? No, it isn't. Because we're it. We're the best. We're the purest. We're the most pious. And any time we think of ourselves like that, we're in the wrong. They, too, meant destruction. Because their hope wasn't in the Messiah to come, but in their own piety. And now I challenge each and all of us, do we put our hope on ourselves? What breaks us? What hurts us? What harms us? What threatens us? Sometimes it can be financial circumstances. Sometimes we find ourselves trying to pinch pennies, and it's serious stuff. It's no make-believe. Sometimes it's agedness. I'm getting old, and it's getting harder. I mean, I'm getting older, and it's getting harder. So I don't like to think of what's ahead. It gets old. It gets harder. Sometimes it's loneliness. Lord, my heart hurts. I'm lonely. Some have wanted a child and God hasn't given them one. Others have a child and that child's a source of joy but also a source of deep hurt, concern, sorrow. A wayward child. Sometimes what burdens us is a marriage that needs a lot of attention and grace and forgiveness and healing then too, we can have troubles that are emotional, a downcast spirit, and many others. And here we are with our brokenness, and here we have a psalm with an answer, hope in the Lord, and the hope comes in Jesus Christ, and in him, church, hope in him. They really mean it. The Bible really means it. Hope in him. You know what hurts you, what you can't change. Hope in him. Jesus once issued an invitation, come to me, to burdened people, Heavy-laden people, bearing a heavy yoke people, come to me. You'll still have a yoke. You might even have a burden, but I'll make it light. I'll make it bearable. I'll walk with you through it. Come to me. Hope in the Lord, hope in him. 
Isn't that the beauty of Advent? The beauty of Christmas? That Jesus, that our Lord God provides Jesus our hope, our help. Which one do you accept? Which Jesus? Let's accept that one. Let's go for him. Yes, Lord, him. Yes, Lord, you. Lord, yes. Praise the Lord. Forgive us, Lord. Bless us, Lord. We hope in you, O Lord. Amen. Our gracious God, may we do so this time, from this time forth and forevermore. You know each of us. Help us, Lord. Heal us. Save us. Walk with us. For Jesus' sake. Amen.